Will you bow your heads with me? God, we now, as we, as we come to the scriptures, we pray for a fresh word, um, that the story that we read, though we've read hundreds of times, that it may be rendered new to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In just two weeks, we have a special Sabbath coming, right? Or, or should I say, in two weeks, we have a special Saturday coming. Now, when I was a pastor of my previous churches, I would get up here, or there, and I would say things like, next Saturday, or this Saturday, and I would use the word Saturday, and it irked, and it bothered a lot of the Sabbath-keeping brethren, because they would tell me that it's not Saturday, it's Sabbath. Fair enough. However, to a visitor, Sabbath was odd. You see, we don't have to call Saturday Sabbath for it to be Sabbath. Because at the beginning, God just created it. And it didn't have a name except for the seventh day. So if I pray you will not take offense at that because in a couple of weeks, we are going to very likely, through God's grace, have visitors in this church. Now, we have visitors in this church all of the time, but oftentimes we find that they're visitors that come from other Adventist churches, correct? For the most part. But in two weeks, I know that God has been working on the hearts, not only of your hearts, but on the hearts of people that you've invited and the people you've been praying for. And they're going to be coming here because, most likely because they're your friend and they'll say, fine, they're not going to stop bugging me until I come to church. So I'm going to just go to church. And, and our hope is that as God is preparing and watering their soul, that when we present to them just Jesus, that they might give Jesus a chance that day. And on that day, when people come into church, I want to invite you and encourage you, where normally we would say to each other, happy Sabbath, if it's somebody that you don't know, maybe you could say, good morning, I'm so glad you're here today. Hey, I'm, my name is David, and I'm glad that you're joining us for, for church this morning. Because when we do that, what we want to do is to make, feel, make people feel welcome. Now, from what I've heard, this church is pretty welcoming as it is, so I know I'm just preaching to the choir. But this is an intentional way for us to reach out to somebody that may be visiting a, a, an Adventist church for the first time. So with that said, I want to invite you to look at a biblical, a biblical perspective of what that looks like. So if you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And our title for this morning's sermon is Christianity, a faith of inclusion, of inviting, not of exclusion or excluding. And so I want to look at the first text, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And this is what it says. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any who belonged to the way, which was what they called Christians in the first century, or the first hundred or so years, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Stop right there. For some of you who may think that the Bible is a little bit boring, this is a pretty intense text. Paul, a Jewish man at the time, a devout Jew, one who was probably the most devout out of all of them, 
he was going around and looking for Christians because he wanted to have them arrested and perhaps even killed, not because he hated Christians, but because Paul believed that these new believers that were once Jews and are now Christians, he believed that they were making a mockery of his faith and of his God. You see, Paul wasn't just this angry man who wanted to kill Christians, as, as some people may make you think, but it's because he thought that these Christians that were preaching that there was a man named Jesus who was the Messiah and he was crucified, he believed that a Messiah, that the one he was waiting for, the anointed one, that the one that was supposed to come from God and establish a new kingdom, that that man would definitely not be killed. Because for Paul, he was waiting for a king that would establish a kingdom that would rule over the whole earth. And so for Paul to hear that there was a group of people who were saying that the Messiah had already come, but he was crucified, he thought it was blasphemous. And in the Bible, what we see is that the only sin that, can be for, that cannot be forgiven is the sin of blasphemy or blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. To blaspheme is very simply to claim, in a sense, that you are God. And so Paul took up issue with these Christians who were saying that God had come in the flesh and that his name was Jesus what you probably wouldn't know from this text, and that's why I get paid to do this. I'm called to do this, but I get paid the big bucks. That was a joke. Was, it fell flat, <laughs> was that it says that Paul had to go to the high priest. So we think that's just Bible language, but what it was is that there was these two groups of religious people. They were the Pharisees that Jesus oftentimes called hypocrites. They were like the religious leaders of the time. They were like pastors and Bible workers and whatever else they were. And so these were the guys that were always making up all these rules, right? And they were the guys that were always like trying to trap Jesus into him kind of, um, um, what's the, what is it when you, when you contradict yourself? So they were trying to have Jesus contradict himself. And so that was one group, the Pharisees. There was another group called the Sadducees. I know this is a history lesson, but you got to understand this to know what's happening here. There was a group called the Sadducees who were kind of like the people who dedicated their entire lives to reading the, the, the five books of Moses, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and reading the prophets. So the Old Testament was their Hebrew Bible. And they spent all of their time reading this and then making decisions about how you were supposed to keep these laws. And they would make more laws and more laws to protect you, kind of like making fences around something. They would make laws in order to keep the believers from actually breaking the real laws of Moses. Is that weird? So it was these two groups of people. Ones were like the theologians and the other ones were kind of just like us. And Paul was a Pharisee. But a Pharisee, they didn't really always get along with the Sadducees because the Pharisees believed that the Sadducees, were, they were too harsh when they, when they gave their judgment. The Pharisees were kinder, I suppose, but they didn't get along with the Sadducees. It's kind of like this. If any of you saw the president's speech this past Thursday night, if you weren't watching football or tennis, but if any of you watched the president's speech this past week, during his speech, right, as it always is, whichever president, Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter to me, okay? Just want to make that clear. Whenever this president would say things that appealed 
to one side of the, of the political spectrum, what would happen? There was clapping and a couple of people would stand up, right? So the camera panned out. And as the camera panned, usually as it came to the left side of the screen, there was a whole other group of people who were just like this. I would say that the Sadducees and the Pharisees, although both wanted to honor God, they went about it in two different ways, and they didn't always agree. So you could say that Paul was like on one side of the camp, and he didn't want to have to go to the other side if he didn't have to because they didn't really get along that well. But Paul was convicted that this new movement of Christians called the way that they were making a mockery of his God, of the God of the Bible, because up to that point, there was just Old Testament. Okay, there was no New Testament. And so he felt that these group of people were going against what his Bible, which is a part of our Bible, was trying to teach. So we can begin to understand that the reason Paul was so upset is the same reason we get upset when we're driving on the 55 freeway and we see that Christianity or religion is just superstition. Why we get mad that we only do Christianity when people say, well, you're only Christian because of the reward you get out of it. No, that's not why. Which is why we get upset if we're driving on the 15 freeway and we see that billboard that says God is a myth. It bothers us because they make a mockery out of the personal God that we believe in who started all things and is moving all things and has everything in control. And we know that that is the living God and we get bothered when people make a mockery of it. And it's everywhere. And so Paul, he was just passionate. And he says, I will not let this continue to happen. And so we go on. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, I have a side note to make here, and I have to because it's been something that just popped up. When we talk about the church as the body of Christ, do you know where that language and who the writer is that writes that? Who is it? Ten points. Come on, Paul. Even if you're wrong, guess, loud. Confidence. That's what I teach my kids. Even if you're wrong, hey, at least you're confident. Paul. It's Paul, it's at the pen of Paul that he writes everything that we now understand as the body of Christ. Many believe it comes back to this experience where Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? It's as though God felt when he killed people because of their faith. And so Paul's conversion in this point leads him to believe that if it hurt God, then we are the body of Christ. Amen? So that's a little tidbit for you, but that's a side note. The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate 
or drank. So here's a lesson for this morning. And we're still going, but here's the first lesson. God meets people where they are. God met you where you were when you were open to God. And he spoke to you in a way that made sense to you that may not have made sense to somebody else. Whatever circumstance you are in, whether it was good or bad, God met you there. And God continues to meet us as we continue this walk of faith. God, Jesus, met Paul on the way to arrest and eventually kill Christians. And this wasn't just so that God would stop people from dying. It's because God had already a plan for Paul, and he was going to have him carry it out until completion. What's ironic is that Paul would eventually die because of his Christian faith. What goes around, I don't know about that. That's, that's bad theology. <laughs> bad theology. But the truth is, is that God met him, God had a plan for him, and nothing was going to get in the way. And so God comes to Paul, and, or Saul, his name was Saul at the time, it changed after this to Paul. But he speaks to him in a way that he understands. When he says, Saul, Saul, that was an Old Testament way of God getting somebody's attention. So when Saul heard that, he would have known, oh, wait a minute, God's, this is God. That's why he responds, who are you, Lord? Because God was using his language. When it says a flash of light appeared, that was Paul's way. Paul would have taken that as, this is the Shekinah glory. Now, for some of you, that's a weird term, Bible term. But the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament was with the Ark of the Covenant, and, and that, was, that was a symbol of God's presence. And so God uses the elements in Paul's life to say, it is I, it is me, and Paul knew. And it says, though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. On October 24, on September 24, we're going to be inviting people to come to this church. Not because we want to grow the church. Not because we want our tithe to go up or our offerings to go up. We're asking people to come here so that they might have an opportunity that we might be able to present to them what a life with Jesus will look like. Less than that, we just want to place Jesus and lift Jesus up because the Bible says that if you, if you lift Jesus up, he will draw all people to himself. We're just parts and instruments in God's master plan. The Bible is God's story. He is just allowing us to be a part of it. And so on the 24th, what we're trying to do is if none of them come back, if none of the people that come that day come back, but at least we planted the seed, it would have been time well spent. Because some of us plant the seed, others will water, but only God causes growth. And so when we read the story of Paul, Saul, his eyes were open. He had a faith like none other. He was a faithful Jewish man. I mean, he was on fire for God, but his passion was misdirected. And so I think that perhaps sometimes for you and for me, our eyes are open, but maybe we are not seeing what God is trying to show us. So guess what? 
Maybe the 24th is for you too. Maybe the 24th is for you who have been in the church your entire life. And maybe there is a sense of maybe I do need to trust God. Because I believe that the word of God is powerful. Because I believe that the Bible has so much truth. One of the other things we're going to be doing is the night before the 24th, on the 23rd, we're going to gather here at about 7 o'clock. 7 to 8 or until like you guys all leave. But at 7 o'clock, we're going to come, and we are going to sing songs, and we're going to praise God, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to hear a teaching from the scriptures. But the 23rd, we don't have a name for it other than we want, we want to invite all of you. We don't do things on Friday nights usually here, so we want to invite all of you to come out for this special Sabbath uh, welcoming service where we will be challenging ourselves to recommit our lives to God. The 24th is for those who haven't. The 23rd is for you. And if you are one of the people that say, I already committed my life to Jesus, great, then come help us. But the 23rd is for this church, for us to gather together and to praise and to worship God. So we keep going. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him, by the way, that's not the Ananias that was killed off in chapter 3. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, also a different guy than that was killed off in Matthew 27. See, the Bible's exciting. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying and he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. To your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Don't read too much into that last sentence. We'll deal with that another time. But he says, he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles, which meant everybody that wasn't Jewish, and to kings and before the people of Israel. So this guy who was killing Israelites would then later bring the message of God and the name of God to the Israelites. And we are spiritual Israel. And has Paul come through for us? Amen. He wrote most of the New Testament. You see, that 24th, when people come, God is going to do something powerful. He's already doing something powerful. But on the 24th, somebody might come here who might be a Saul, who might be God's chosen instrument to make his name known. You might be in here today. You may have a special calling like none others where God is asking you to make his name known. In the video that we saw, right, all of you stereotyped the wrong way, right? 
you guys understood, yeah, you know, okay, the guy that looks like that surely must not go to church. And the guy that looks like, mm, I don't know, me, kind of preppy, that's the guy that goes to church. And the reality is, is that when we come to church, all of the external labels fall off. Republican, Democrat, eh, I'm a part of the kingdom. I'm a citizen that is none like any on this earth. The kingdom of heaven we don't wait for. Jesus did come to establish the kingdom of heaven, and it started, but it wasn't like a government. It wasn't a kingdom. It's a kind of kingdom that starts from the bottom up, and it creates momentum, and it's powerful because we serve out of love, and no one can ever take that from us. The kingdom is here, and it is alive. But Paul was an instrument. Now, I know some of you may be shy about asking somebody to come to church. And I've heard all of them, what if, what if they come to church and church service is boring that day? What if they come to church and that music is horrible? What if we come to church and you preach for too long, pastor? And so there are those concerns. Maybe, yes, to all of them. I mean, we're preparing, but you never know. But what I can guarantee you is that God's presence will be here and it will be felt. So whether the music is no good, which it won't, whether the, the word of God falls flat, which it won't, we will still gather together because it's not that God is found here, but when we gather, something powerful happens. And we don't want you to miss out either on the 23rd or the 24th. And we go on. We're getting close to the end. So Ananias, who didn't want to go to lay hand on the guy that could have killed him, went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. He got up and he was baptized. Though his eyes were opened, he could not see. And when his eyes were opened, his first response was to recommit his life to God and to await God's plan for his life. You know, sometimes we look at people's outward appearance, at what they've done, at who they are. Have you ever seen somebody and you just don't like the way they look, so you decide in your heart that you're not going to like them, and then they turn out to be really great people and you love them? Every time I have judged that way, I was wrong. You see, as humans, we have a tendency to judge the outward appearance or, 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 the, or what people have done in their past. But what the Bible clearly teaches us is that God's, God says to Samuel as he's looking for the next king, an instrument of God, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. He's talking about a warrior-looking guy. The Lord does not look at things, at the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And beyond the exterior, we all have a heart. There are some people whose eyes are open but cannot see. They may be us. And we come here to have an experience of having our eyes open. When somebody comes to church, now I don't like, I don't like the thought, like, that video was cool, but I realize, you know, people can look however they want to and come to church. Okay? You know, we used to say things like, if somebody comes in with tattoos to church, ah, it doesn't really matter anymore. Because that's not a big deal. 
Here's, I will stand and proclaim from the pulpit. If somebody's not wearing a suit to church, no big deal. If somebody doesn't look the way we think they should look, no big deal. God doesn't care. You think God cares? That's a personal thing. How we dress is a personal thing. But God, if somebody is here, he's like, I am, I'm going to get to work in a special way. Because although God is working in the lives of people that we are inviting in a very intentional way, God works in this building through the scripture. So on the 24th, I am not going to not use Bible verses and use stories because that's not what God has called me to do. We will preach from the Bible because we're not going to fake anybody out. They're in church. What do they expect? On Saturday, they already think we're crazy, so we're just going to give them scripture. What they don't know is football's on Sunday, so God already knew what he was doing. <laughs> and we go to the final text. <laughs> I'm available for parties too. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Notice this. This is a quick Christological salvation text. Jesus doesn't have his life taken from him. He lays it down freely. And I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. There are sheep that are not of this fold. He was talking to the Israelites, to the Jewish people, saying, there are Gentiles and lots of other people that are my people. You just haven't seen it. The whole world is God's and everything in it. And so as I bring this to a close, because I know I've been going for a while, but I can't stop. On the 24th, this will be available for you. Hopefully they'll look nicer and they'll stick better. And we are going to ask you to wear them. Because I hate going places where I don't know everybody's name. Now we're not necessarily going to ask the visitors to have this. We're going to ask those of you who come here every single week. And it may not match with your outfit. And you may not like the way it looks on your clothes. But we are servants of the Most High God, and we will do anything it takes to introduce Jesus to people. How nice would it be if everywhere we went, people wore name tags and we knew their name? I like it. Because it makes it easier. Oh, hi, David. And when somebody comes in on that day that God has already prepared, you will go up to them and you will say, my name is David. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here with us. And remember that no matter what they look like, because we don't really care about that here, but whatever they look like, you welcome them. If you're single, no hugs to the ladies, okay? If you're a single guy, don't want to do that. We don't want to scare people away. And the other thing I would encourage you, be normal. Be yourself. Don't be like the annoying people at the retail stores that are always following you around. We don't like that. Introduce yourself, and if the conversation is good, you go forward with it. If it's not, just say, come on, we're glad you're here, and God has already prepared someone else to have a conversation with that person. 
And on that day, we will show hospitality in a way where we will have a huge potluck. And it's going to be lots of good food. And I would encourage as many of you as are able to, to just stick around and just rejoice in fellowship. That's another word we probably shouldn't use, fellowship. Just hang out <laughs> and get to know one another. People didn't believe that Paul could do anything good except as a machine of, of terror and persecution. And yet God had a plan. And God has a plan for the people you have invited. If they don't show up, that's okay. You've planted the seed. There will be plenty of opportunities. But we believe that once people have tasted of the Lord and seen that he is good, they will never want anything else. Shall we pray? God, we are, we are blessed by the scripture, and we are challenged by it. And so this morning, as we, as we ponder these things in our hearts, it's our prayer that you would make us courageous witnesses of who you are. And we pray a special prayer for those who we have invited, that, they, that their hearts would be open to a new truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.